What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Bush coming at you solo today to talk about my 10 biggest takeaways, my 10 biggest lessons learned from week two of fantasy football, from the first two weeks, really, of fantasy football. And I know there's plenty of other YouTube channels out there that do this. So instead of being a basic sheep, I'm going to make sure that these takes are both redraft and dynasty related. So some of these takes might be from the NFL. Some of these takes might be from college football. So let me know what you guys think of this new video idea. Just kind of tinkering with it. If you guys don't like it, it's, you know, I'm not married to it or anything, but I do think this is a good way to kind of get our, our initial reactions on what happened in the week of football in general, not just the NFL. So if you guys enjoy this video, go down below, leave a like, comment any of your thoughts down below while you're down there as well, and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already done so. I can see on the back end, 78, 80% of you guys that watch these videos are not subscribed. Really appreciate if you guys hit the subscribe button. But with that being said, let's get right into it. Okay, so my first takeaway, and I would say this is more of a dynasty takeaway than it is a redraft takeaway, but I'm really shocked that people haven't learned the lesson that talent over situation at the wide receiver position is always going to play out. Garrett Wilson, Jahan Dotson, Drake London, and Chris Olave are proving this time in and time again. In rookie drafts, we saw plenty of people, if you guys had late rookie drafts, even more so, but we saw plenty of people reaching for Christian Watson's and reaching for George Pickens's and reaching for you know, Damian Pierce because they either needed a, a certain position or because they thought they landed in better spots than guys like Garrett Wilson, because people said, I don't want a Jets wide receiver. People said, I don't want Carson Wentz's number two receiver and Terry McLaurin is already there. I don't want Marcus Mariota's number one wide receiver. I don't want, you know, the second wide receiver to Michael Thomas really at the wide receiver position. After all these examples this past year, we also saw it with Justin Jefferson. We also saw it with AJ Brown. We saw it with Rashad Bateman. We saw it with Elijah Moore. We saw it with T Higgins in recent years. You'd think that folks would learn their lesson to remember that talent is the most important thing at wide receiver. All that matters is your ability to get open, to catch the ball, to do something once you have the ball in your hands, which is why those are the three fundamental traits that I evaluate with wide receiver prospects. Because if you're able to get on the field, routes are given, targets are earned. And if you're able to get on the field, you can earn targets. And these rookie wide receivers, these four, all four of which were in my top five, uh, along with Traylon Burks, who hasn't played yet this week, are proving that time in and time again. And they're showing that whatever concerns we had about their landing spot, they are playing out of their mind. And in redraft, I mean, Garrett Wilson's going to be the number one waiver pickup this week. Jahan Dotson, obviously, if he's available, is, is going to be a, a high pickup as well. Drake London and Chris Olave are becoming guys that you need to put in your lineup simply by the fact that they get a lot of volume. It's all based on their talent. It has nothing to do with them landing with Aaron Rodgers or landing in a situation with no target competition. We are hitting the nuts with these rookies simply by the fact of the work that we did back in March to determine if these guys were great players to begin with. So that is my biggest takeaway of this week is that the, this rookie wide receiver class is proving a narrative that I learned last year and in, in the previous years to be right. Uh, number two takeaway that I have from the NFL and from college football a little bit too this week is that the Achilles boogeyman is starting to lose its luster. Now I'm not going to declare victory over the Achilles injuries quite yet, but we are seeing some promising developments with this injury because James Robinson is thoroughly outplaying Travis Etienne. Uh, and this is the guy that you need to start in this backfield going forward. We saw for the second straight week, James Robinson leading the team in touches. He had 23 carries 
two targets, ran more routes actually also than Travis Etienne and outsnapped him by 45 to 26. So this is the dude in this backfield. He is coming nine months, eight and a half months off of Achilles surgery, and he has taken over this backfield. So he maybe we, we thought it was going to be Cam Akers to buck the trend. It looks like James Robinson is actually going to be the primary example of why Achilles tears. Maybe there's been some more advancements in the science. And number two, obviously, we have Cam Akers, who narrowed the gap between him and Daryl Henderson this past week. After week one, where he only saw three touches and he had zero yards, and uh, this week we saw him come out and actually pretty much split carries, split touches down the middle with Daryl Henderson. He actually out-touched Daryl Henderson in this game. Going forward, I, I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm declaring victory as the Cam Akers truther. He's better than Daryl Henderson. He's the guy that you want to start going forward. But I would rather have him than Daryl Henderson rest of season. And both of these guys are probably back-end RB2, high-end RB3 types because um, with Cam Akers finally getting involved, now on the early downs and looking a little bit better than we saw from him in last week's game and in the playoffs specifically, I think he's still a solid buy low candidate, especially knowing the history that Daryl Henderson has with you know injuries and all that kind of stuff. So the Rams backfield's looking like a pretty murky situation, but it looks like Cam Akers' Achilles injury is not the reason we need to be blaming what happened in week one on Cam Akers. It looks like it was you know, potentially a disciplinary thing or whatever the case is. But Cam Akers rest of the season still looking like a guy that is on the way up, but uh, a long way to go still. And then number three uh, example of an Achilles injury is uh, Minnesota Gophers running back Muhammad Ibrahim, uh, who actually is second in the NCAA right now in rushing yards after tailing, tearing his Achilles. I believe it was in like week one of the college football season last year. And he's an interesting prospect to watch for the 2023 draft class. He's got a bit of like Brian Robinson to his game. Downhill, you know, thumper, physical runner, not going to contribute much as a receiver, but another guy that is starting to buck the Achilles trend as well. So uh, that is my number two lesson learned that uh, the Achilles injuries, we need to monitor these going forward because we might have a couple examples of guys that have been returning to productive play in the NFL. So number three we have is Mike McDaniel is absolutely saving Tua Tungavailoa's career because uh, I know I was not super high on Miami Dolphins. So the first two takes, I've kind of like low-key victory lapped a little bit. This was one that I definitely missed on in the offseason because I like Jalen Waddle, I like Tyree Kill, but they are being force-fed elite volume in this offense. You guys can see of the 49 pass attempts that Tua threw last week, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle had 32 of those. That is an absolutely absurd target concentration that we're seeing in this offense. And it's exactly what should be happening, to be honest. When you have a backfield that is complementing this speed that they have on the outside, there's no reason not to throw the ball. Like, why would you be, you know, trying to run it down their throat when you just have like Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds, guys that are not, you know, priority running backs, you need to get the ball in the hands of your best players, which is clearly Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle in this passing game. And they, yet again, they threw at above average passing rate. If somebody's over uh, willing to overpay for Tua Tungavailoa, if you have them on like your bench or something, and somebody lost Trey Lance, or they lost Dak Prescott, and they're going to give you a King's ransom for Tua, by all means, sell the guy if you don't need him. But I am holding on to these two wide receivers for dear life. I don't want to trade Tyreek Hill. I don't want to trade Jalen Waddle right now. I'm taking some W's in this video, but this is one that I definitely should have been higher on. I should have seen this coming a little bit more. I wasn't out on the Dolphins by any means. I wasn't saying they were overrated or anything, but I thought they were all kind of just appropriately priced. I think Tyreek was going where he should have been going back of the second round type of area. I think Jalen Waddle was going where he should have been going, although I probably in hindsight should have been a little bit higher on Jalen Waddle over guys like, you know, Allen Robinson and Marquise Brown and some of the other guys that I did have ranked ahead of Jalen Waddle going into the season. So I'm taking an L on that one. But uh, this offense is looking great, and I don't think it's going to get um, you know much worse going forward. I don't think they're going to put up you know as much yards and touchdowns, six touchdowns and 500 yards or whatever that they put up this week. But I do think they are on the way up. 
Number four takeaway is Amon Ross St. Brown appears to be the second year breakout wide receiver this year, because going back to last year, we have eight straight games of Amon Ross St. Brown posting a 30% target share. This guy was doubted all off season because he did it while TJ Hawkinson was out of the lineup and he did it with Deandre Swift uh, halfway out of the lineup. But we screamed all off season over here at FSE that the bottom line is that he did it. It doesn't matter who was in the lineup or who was out of the lineup. We had a rookie wide receiver who closed out his rookie season with six straight games of 30% target share. That is what we should have been focusing on. We should not have been focusing on who was in the lineup and who was out of the lineup when it happened. And Amon Ross St. Brown appears to be on the way up to potentially a top 12 season this year. The way he looks right now, he looks like a number one wide receiver. He doesn't look like a guy who's being forced by targets. Jared Goff clearly has a high level of chemistry with him, and he looks like a breakout candidate this year. So Amon Ross St. Brown, if this continues, is definitely going to be one of my bigger hits. Hopefully you guys drafted him when he was on the board in the fifth, sixth round, as we talked about in our must draft players by round. We know uh, Amon Ra was falling to the sixth round, seventh round in some more casual leagues. And he was an absolute steal at that point in the draft. So great news for uh, those of you guys that drafted him. Number five, we have uh, a college football takeaway, which is the 2023 rookie class is looking a little shaky right now. And specifically a wide receiver, because I think the running backs have looked really good. You know, Bijan's been doing his thing. We've seen Sean Tucker been doing his thing. Jameer Gibbs doing his thing in the passing game. And the quarterback class, we're just really going to have to wait and see how that plays out because the biggest input for quarterbacks is draft capital. And right now, other than Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, we don't know if, you know, an Anthony Richardson or a Will Levis or some of these other guys are going to emerge. That usually happens later in the process when we get to pro days, senior bowls, combines, all that kind of stuff. But the wide receiver class is the position that I'm kind of worried about right now because, you know, the top guys that we had going into the season, my my top five wide receiver rankings were Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison, Kayshawn Boutte, Josh Downs, and uh, Quentin Johnston. And some of those guys are getting off to very rough starts of the college football season. A couple of them are dealing with injury right now. JSN got hurt in week one. Josh Downs got hurt in week one and hasn't played since. But aside from Jordan Addison, really all of these guys are struggling. We had uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who has pretty much been the consensus wide receiver one heading into this class. He got hurt in week one after only catching two passes for three yards against Notre Dame. He only managed two catches for 33 yards last week after returning from the week two injury that had him out uh, against Toledo last week. So it's still early for Jackson Smith and Jigba. And he had such a great sophomore year that I'm not concerned yet, but it is something to monitor. Maybe he was more productive last year because he had these future NFL top 12 pick Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave guys taking so much attention away from him. And if he has a down uh, junior year this year and he's not very productive, that's going to be a red flag on his profile. Because as I talked about in the wide receivers to target and avoid series, we want to see progression from these college football wide receivers. We don't want to see one spike year and then they don't progress any further than that because that's led to some guys like Jalen Rager and some guys like Nikhil Harry who've been some of the biggest wide receiver busts in recent years. So Jackson Smith and Jigba, hopefully he can get his head on straight. Hopefully he can get back to being a productive player. Kayshawn Boutte is one that I'm actually concerned might just not be that good altogether because he's been coasting off of his freshman year and his freshman year, he was great, right? Especially once Terrace Marshall opted out or went down, I can't remember exactly what happened. Uh, he was very, very productive, but he hasn't been productive since. He was uh, banged up all of last year. So far this year, he's gone 10 for 93 and zero touchdowns in three games. So it's safe to say that he's sliding down my board. And if he doesn't have good production this year, he's going to be one of those guys that lives off of his freshman season, just like George Pickens did this past year heading into the draft process, just like you know Rondell Moore did two years ago. And I'm not going to be out on that type of profile. I, like I said, I like to see sustained, consistent production over multiple years. And Kayshawn Boutte is, is at risk of, of falling into that category where he's a one-year wonder as a freshman. So 
The other guy that I mentioned was Quinton Johnston, uh, who was always going to have an uphill battle for his prospect profile because he goes to TCU and people have a bad memory of TCU wide receivers. And as much as, you know, we don't want to think that's going to factor into the NFL's decision to draft him high and fantasy players' decisions to draft him high, it will because Jalen Rager and Josh Doxson have obviously been a huge bust from that school. Um, but he's a guy that's not even really commanding targets right now. So that is definitely another concern for this wide receiver class. If Jordan Addison's the only superstar from this class, if you know Josh Downs, JSN, or whatever have these down seasons, that's definitely going to impact the value of 2023 rookie picks. But it also, again, like th- this running back class is going to be good. The quarterback class is going to be going to be pretty good as well. Michael Mayer's doing his thing at tight end. So it's still going to be a good class, but the wide receivers were always a, a plus to an already great running back and quarterback class. So moving off of college football, kind of, because we're talking about rookie running backs here. Rookie running backs got some more run in week two in the NFL with Damian Pierce, Kenneth Walker, and Tyler Algier, uh, those latter two making their NFL debuts, but not so much Brees Hall. So looks like I nailed the week one waiver trap. Uh, last week, I talked about Rex Burkhead being a guy that I was not in on. I thought he was the biggest trap of week one. And a lot of people probably spent, I know in my league personally, he went for like 30 fab bucks. I hope you didn't fall for Rex Burkhead because I figured this was what was going to happen. Damian Pierce played 62% of the snaps in week two, and he got most of the early down work, but Burkhead was still the third down and the two minute drill back, which is exactly what we should have expected in week one. It just didn't happen that way for whatever reason. So I think you can trust Damian Pierce as a back end RB2 going forward. A lot of people might say, well, they were in a good game script. How often are the Houston Texans going to be leading games? I would say probably not that often, but I don't think they're going to score barely any points like they did this past week. So I think it kind of balances out from that perspective. We saw that uh, Damian Pierce got the only goal line work. He got most of the short yardage work. So if they do have goal line work in future games going forward, I do think Damian Pierce is the guy that gets those opportunities. As I mentioned, Kenneth Walker made his NFL debut. And I think people from a dynasty perspective, if you're a rebuilding team or you're a team that's just out of it for whatever reason, Kenneth Walker's a great trade target right now because he's totally out of sight, out of mind. This was a guy that people were taking potentially at the 102 in rookie drafts, and he has slid so far down, and he really hasn't done anything wrong. All he's been doing is you know coming back from a sports hernia, and for whatever reason, everybody wants to think that he's not good anymore. And I was not a Kenneth Walker guy going into rookie drafts because I thought he was overvalued, but he's kind of taken the flip side of things where now he's a little bit uh, undervalued. And we saw in week one or in week two, he made his debut and he started to cannibalize Rashad Penny immediately. My attitude towards this backfield was always take the cheapest option. And for a while, that was Kenneth Walker. This is a bad offense. It's a running back by committee. So just give me the guy who I think is the most talented. And if he ever gets a opportunity during the chaos of the NFL season, we know Rashad Penny has been susceptible to injuries in the past. I think Kenneth Walker could be a guy that wins people leagues down the stretch. If Rashad Penny were to get injured uh, in some way. So a guy that I think is a great stash. If he's on your waiver wire, if you can use him as a sweetener in a trade package, I think he's a guy to go a uh, good guy to go out and acquire Tyler Algier also saw his first NFL action this week, but it looked like an absolute mess uh, in this this Falcons backfield. Look at this chart right now. How many running backs were involved? Continue to stash Tyler Algier, but he does not see the light of day in your lineup. And I, I kind of mentioned Brees Hall as well. Michael Carter continues to operate as the starting running back in this backfield. So Brees Hall, a guy that I'm probably not willing to start right now. And this is why I wasn't willing to draft Brees Hall, because I figured this would happen. I know Brees Hall is more talented than Michael Carter. I have no doubt in my mind than that. But when you're uh, you're a rookie in the NFL, it takes you a couple weeks to get your legs under you to make sure that the game is slowing down for you and you can play at that same mental speed level and physical speed level that you played with in college. So I figured Michael Carter was going to have the leg up being a guy that was you know already in the NFL. And that's kind of playing out 
right now for Brees Hall. So hopefully, uh, for those of you guys that drafted Brees Hall, hopefully you're able to either leave him on your bench or use him as nothing more than like a low-end flex option until he can command a bigger workload. Now, number seven is going to be um, a big-time topic for Wednesday's trade target video, and that is Javante Williams is about to break the F out, and you can get him before it even happens, which is my favorite time in fantasy football. When you can sense a breakout coming and you know uh, it, it – most casual fantasy players won't take that into account because they haven't seen it yet. And that's usually the difference between casual and good fantasy players is that we can predict things and they can't, they need to see it first for the first time in Javante Williams's career. He cracked a 65% snap share with Melvin Gordon in the lineup. And that is absolutely huge, huge news. He outsnapped him 65 to 32%. He had 19 opportunities, four of them targets to Gordon's 11 opportunities with one of those targets. And also he just looks like the better player and he always has looked like the better player. He is dominating everything important as you guys can see below. You can see it with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. He dominated all the plays. He dominated early downs. He had all three of the goal line opportunities. He had all the short yardage, five to two in favor of Javante Williams. He had most of the third down work, most of the two minute drill work. He's running more of the routes than Melvin Gordon. We are getting exactly what we wanted to see out of Javante Williams. J Melvin Gordon was never going to go away completely, but this is exactly what I expected. And I don't think this Denver Broncos offense is going to be as bad going forward as they've showed in recent weeks. They look like a absolute dumpster fire in these first two games, and it's presenting an awesome buy low window for Javante Williams. So I'm going to expand on this more in Wednesday's video, but just keep in mind, if, if people are late uh, at getting the news and all that kind of stuff, take advantage of Javante Williams' buy low window right now. Nick Chubb just had two great weeks, right? He's a guy that's on the up right now. If You could probably get Javante Williams plus for Nick Chubb right now, and I would rather have Javante Williams rest of season than Nick Chubb straight up, who's just played two cupcake matchups in a row. So um, Javante Williams, go out and get him right now. I will talk about it more on Wednesday. Takeaway number eight is that the tight end landscape is not looking fun outside of really Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and then to a lesser extent, Pat Fryermuth and Zach Ertz right now. Again, this is another teaser for Wednesday's buy low video because these elite tight ends will absolutely be talked about in that video. And also some of the middle tier guys as well with um, Dallas Goddard, who hasn't played yet. He had a bit of a down week one. Dalton Schultz, assuming he's okay, could also be a good buy low window as well. But the tight end position, and, and this is my philosophy going into drafts. It's a position that I rip on all the time. You guys know I'm not a big tight end early drafter. And this is the reason why, because we know guys like Darren Waller and Kyle Pitts and George Kittle, who to be fair, hasn't played yet, are not playing well at the moment. And they're down in terms of the value that they had once you drafted them. People would have thought more highly of them then than they do now after these first two games. But the reason that I'm not worried about these guys is because they're tight ends. This is what happens. They're not going to be as consistent as wide receivers and running backs, which is why I wasn't willing to draft them among great wide receivers and running backs. So all that matters in the minds of the position or all that matters in the mind of the person that drafted those players and that person that is rostering those players is how many points they score on Sunday. They don't care about the tight end positional advantage anymore. They cared about that during the draft when they were thinking of team construction and roster construction. So these three tight ends that I just mentioned, George Kittle, Darren Waller, and Kyle Pitts are also going to be prime by low candidates because why draft them early when you can wait for an inevitable downstretch because they're tight ends and get them cheaper? And the same can be said for Dallas Goddard. Like I said, same can be said for Dalton Schultz, assuming he's okay. So those guys are definitely on my radar. If you guys don't have a great tight end, for, personally, I have Pat Fryermuth in my home league. I'm going to be sending out offers for Kyle Pitts. I'm going to be sending out offers for George Kittle and for Darren Waller using Pat Fryermuth and probably a small piece as leverage because Pat Fryermuth is playing well right now and those guys are not. So uh, definitely uh, keep that in mind in your leagues. If you guys don't have an elite tight end, if you don't have Andrews or Kelsey, I definitely think, 
no matter who your tight end is, you should be sending out offers for these guys. So number nine, we have Trey Lance season absolutely robbed from us, which was brutal to see because number one, it's going to end his season. And from a dynasty perspective, this calls into question what Trey Lance's real job uh, security is long-term because we know that they weren't, let's say, super, super high on Trey Lance from the beginning. We've heard questions, marks about his ability to operate in this offense, and they kept Jimmy G behind him just in case he struggled or whatever the case was. But it's a good thing they have Jimmy Garoppolo, so this 49ers offense doesn't go completely down the shitter. But for, for one, it's just really unfortunate for Trey Lance. We lost two of my favorite quarterbacks in recent weeks uh, with Dak Prescott and Trey Lance, two guys that I loved this offseason as uh, great fantasy targets, elite ceilings for not elite prices. The repercussions of this injury, though, are this. Number one, Debo Samuel sees an uptick because we knew that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and him have some good connection. Jimmy Garoppolo was the one who led him to his top five season last year, so that's definitely good for continuity's sake. And also, Trey Lance would have made this offense more run-heavy. We also know um, he's more of a downfield type of passer, so maybe he would have favored a guy like Brandon Ayuk. And I think the same can be said for George Kittle as well. I think he also benefits from Jimmy Garoppolo being on the field because we know they're also great friends off the field. So the run game is also a big beneficiary of Trey Lance not being on the field because we no longer have a mobile quarterback taking away potential goal line work. We no longer have a mobile quarterback taking away carries in general. So Jeff Wilson, Tyrion Davis-Price, who split time in week two and make sure if TDP is available on your waiver wire, you go and get him. Uh, I'm sure Danny will touch on that tomorrow, but this whole offense kind of sees a bit of a reconstruction. I think Brandon Ayuk takes a bit of a stock down, Debo Samuel, a bit of a stock up, George Kittle, a bit of a stock up, and also the running backs, a bit of a stock. Up. And Jimmy Garoppolo, if he's available and you're in a super flex league, definitely go add him off of the waiver wire. So let's get to the final takeaway of the video, and then I'll wrap this thing up. Number 10 is that the Lamar to Rashad Bateman connection is very real. And Lamar looked absolutely ungodly last week. It's a shame that they lost because Tua decided to look even better than Lamar somehow. But in each of the first two games, Lamar Jackson's been incredible from a fantasy perspective, which is why he was my QB2 heading into the year because he gives you the dual threat ability, right? He, we know he's a great passer. Everybody doubts him all the time, but he is a good passer and we know what he can give us, obviously, with his legs. So he's throwing a lot more than expected as well. In the first two games so far, the Ravens are leading the NFL in first down passing rate. Now, this could be because J.K. Dobbins and uh, Gus Edwards are still both not in the lineup and they're relying on their passing game because their running backs are hurt. But regardless, I still think uh, Lamar Jackson has the potential to have a great passing type of season, even when J.K. Dobbins comes back. And for, for J.K. Dobbins, too, make sure you guys check your waiver wires if you're in a shallow league, because it's I've definitely heard some of you guys in the comments say that J.K. Dobbins was dropped. So if J.K. Dobbins is on the waiver wire, go at him because he's probably going to come back this week. But the, the real takeaway is that Lamar, Andrews, and Rashad Bateman could be absolutely lethal this year if Lamar keeps up this level of passing. And speaking to Rashad Bateman, he's still not quite getting the greatest usage in the world because it's yet another week of him under 75% of the team's routes, but he still carved out seven targets on 28 pass attempts, 25% target share, and is proving to be a big play threat for this offense as well, with two absolute bombs in recent weeks. He could be a sell-high candidate if you guys don't think that can keep up and you can get you know great pieces in return for him, but uh, I'm fine just holding him as well. So if you guys enjoyed this video, let me know what you think of this format. I'm kind of covering Dynasty and Redraft at the same time. If you liked it, uh, leave a like down below. Comment any of your thoughts down below as well. Subscribe to the channel if you enjoyed. If you are new around here, I promise you, we will give you everything we got to help you win a fantasy championship this year. So make sure you hit the subscribe button. Also hit the notification bell so you're notified anytime we go live. Of course, you know, during our live streams, we answer questions in the order in which they're asked. So the earlier get you get in, the more likely uh, we are to get to your questions. So definitely appreciate all the support you guys have shown to us. If you want to support us as well, 
check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash fantasy stock exchange. You can get access to our dynasty rankings manifesto, our redraft rankings manifesto, first dibs on dynasty decisions episodes, which will be coming in recent days. Uh, also, you can get our weekly rankings for, for your start sit decisions. You can get access to all of our posts, behind the scenes, wide receiver matchup charts, running back matchup charts for each week. All that is included for just $10 a month over on Patreon. So if you want to support us over there, link down below. Check out Underdog Fantasy as well if you haven't already done so. Promo code FSE gets you 100% back on whatever you put in. Uh, so if you put in 20 bucks, you get $40 on the site to play with. You can do some pick'ems, You can do some best ball resurrection, whatever the case is. And as you know, as a free gift, you'll get our Dynasty and our weekly rankings for free as a thank you for using our promo code. So check out all those offers down below. But with that being said, peace out. We'll talk to you soon. Why are you